You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here. Welcome to our first Denver virtual happy hour. So what we're doing here, this is an idea that actually uh, Terrence Stoll and I came up a couple weeks ago uh, when we sat down to do your, your 2020 investing guide interview. Derek Barron came up. Somehow we started having a few drinks, had lots of fun, had good feedback. We said, hey, that'd be great because we get to network and talk real estate and drink. So, you know, pretty good situation right there. And I mean, we're recording this during COVID and everyone knows life is a little boring right now. So we thought, hey, good way to actually do a virtual happy hour, uh, network with people around town. And we're going to do this on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We'll do it live. So if you guys can plug in, join us, have a drink. And also we're going to take the audio and put in the podcast. That would be a great way to network. So every month or so, Terrence and I will co-host. We'll bring in a new guest just to kind of pick their brains, talk shop, talk COVID real estate, all that good stuff. So Terrence, who'd you snag for this first one? Chris, I'm really excited about this guest. Brandon Gill is our guest. I met Brandon maybe a year, over a year ago at a buddy's birthday party. And I'd actually heard your name from numerous people. And I just really loved your story. And I thought you were a hustler. And I loved how you were able to just do deals in all different spaces in under real estate. You were doing land. I think you were doing flips. You are doing multifamily. I mean, you had a bunch of stuff going. Absolutely. And I was just immediately attracted to you. And so we've stayed in touch ever since. You've offered a lot of value to me and my business. Hopefully, I've been able to do the same. So I was really excited to have you on. And I think the listeners are really going to love your story and and uh, kind of how you've been able to build a really successful business. So I'm really excited to have you. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. And um, I also like the fact that when you think of virtual happy hour alcohol, that I'm the first one that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. That, that's, on the, yeah. That's on the LinkedIn profile, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. Right, yeah. have a drink. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And so one last uh, guest we had on here, Joe Massey. Like just, I mentioned him earlier. We are hanging out, doing some stuff. And uh, Joe, uh, what, like 10 minutes ago, realized you told us that you actually, you and Brandon go yeah. way back. You guys were, they, they were bragging. You guys were like, oh man, we got this great guest. We met this guy. You got to meet him. His name's Brandon Gill. I was like, meet him. Yeah. I was like, I've known him since middle school. Right. I was like, I've known him since a long time ago. So I'm Absolutely. just excited to be here and listening to, you know, you and I've, I've been here with the ride for you for a number of years. Oh yeah. Man. Almost a decade, decade plus. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. excited to hear the, the next evolution. What you been up to? Thank you, buddy. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you Brandon, so much. Well, wait, wait, wait. Before we jump into there, I, I have my show notes. I got two notes on here. Oh, yeah. We got to follow the outline. N- number one, this is important. <laughs> we generally keep things pretty PG. We are drinking, so there's a really good chance it won't be PG. So if you got little kiddos like <laughs> Wallace doing this room, maybe earmuffs them. Uh, secondly, we got to cheers it. Right. So, cheers. Cheers, guys. Yeah. Here's to our first cheers. virtual happy hour. It's hard to reach. You're yeah, greater guys, than six feet away. Absolutely. First annual. Yes. Hopefully, you guys have me back every year. We'll see. We'll see Sounds how this goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how, how we do on that bottle. <laughs> nice. All right. You were asking a question, Terrence. And I was going to say, when you came in here today, you started talking about your background, how you initially started. I think you said you met with like 15 to 20 brokerages, couldn't get a job. Why don't you give us the background, how you got into real estate? You actually know the founder of Your Castle pretty well, Lon Welsh. So give us, give us the backdrop of how you started in real estate. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much. So, you know, pretty much my whole life, I've been kind of taking the underdog route. You know, I mean, nothing's really been easy and I tend to do things the hard way. So um, 
You know, I was I was about 20 years old and I was studying for my real estate exam. Um, I finally was able to get my license, but I, um, you know, I just couldn't find the right brokerage fit. You know, I was I was pretty green and um, I had gotten a little bit of trouble. And so they they uh, you know, I, I had a, a, a larger barrier to entry to get into the right brokerage. So long story short, it took me about six or eight months and I interviewed with probably uh, 16 different real estate agencies. And either wasn't a good fit for me or wasn't a good fit for them. But, um, you know, I, I just I was pretty frustrated with where things went. And I knew that real estate was my passion, where I wanted to go in life. Um, and it was frustrating that I just couldn't get my foot through the door. And even as a young man, you know, 20 years old, you just want to want to really just take the world by the by the horns. So I sat down with Charles, uh, Charles Roberts and, and uh, Lon Welsh. And, you know, at this point, pretty much exhausted with sitting down with brokerages and and immediately we just connected and I told them my story and I told them about my ambitions and, you know, they listened to me with an open ear and I got a, you know, hats off to them. I mean, they, you know, Lon and Charles just said, Hey man, you're going to do great. You're going to do great. And they gave me that immediate validation and support and confidence that I needed to, uh, to go out into the market and crush it. And so there we were, you know, I, I, I found my home with your castle. We went to a recession. I mean, it was, um, you know, blood in the streets with the housing crisis. So this is 2007 and, you started with them? Uh, roughly 2007, yep. Cool. Yeah, so 2007, and I mean, the sky was falling. Everybody's like, right. get out of real estate. Get out, what are you doing in real estate? And it's like, well, you know, this is this is when we go towards real estate. Right. You know, my yep. I, I thought the average prices of a home looking in the MLS, I could go into any, you know, Denver market or submarket. I could find houses for 60 grand. You know, I mean, and I just, that was, that was my, that was my reference point for how much a single family was is because I could see them everywhere. So I ended up, uh, you know, it was, it was tough because my commissions, you know, in the beginning, I mean, I would, I would work 50 hours a week and I was pulling in, you know, I, I ended up closing, you know, several deals in my first couple months, but it was hard. Right. And I mean, my first commission check was 500 bucks, no way. you know, 500 to a thousand bucks. I mean, I was averaging a thousand dollar commissions just because I was selling $30,000 houses and, right. you know, $50,000 houses. And so, um, so it was a little bit of a grind. And then, uh, within my first 12 months, I think I, I, uh, snowballed into about 16 deals and was just like, just had a lot of momentum working a lot with investors. So was that your niche was like just buying, doing, working with investors? So a lot with investors or rentals or what was the, you were selling to investors and what were they doing? You know, my main focus was actually, uh, flippers. Okay. And so, and I, and I always wanted to be, have that flip mentality. And so, um, my goal was, okay, well, I'm 20 years old. I don't have any capital. Let me go ahead and start brokering out deals to investors because I, I know how to deal source. And that's something that I learned from a really young age. And so I would deal source these guys, um, properties and they would go out and flip them. And then I would learn the process, mm -hmm. you know? So that's always been my, my thing is like, okay, well, if I want to learn how to do this, I might as well be the middleman to get these deals to these guys so that I can learn, okay, what's your inspection process like? Okay, what do you need to buy it at? What do you anticipate selling it at? So I would I would learn the whole ins and outs um, by being able to sell them deals. And I actually, I've, I've done that throughout several stages of my career um, and even in the development world, you know, so that, so, so basically I said, okay, I'm gonna be a broker so that I can learn how to be my own investor. Mm -hmm. And I successfully made that transition um, I was a broker for about seven years with these guys. I mean, just had a blast. I mean, the amount of information um, that I learned from the top down was, it's phenomenal. Right. I mean, there's there's things that I learned from Lon and Charles 
and even the brokerage, the brokers that were within the company, I still do business with and still talk to, and I still carry those jewels and gems with me into today. Um, so, I mean, invaluable experience with your castle. Um, so I, I said, hey, okay, I want to be an, uh, an investor. So I went from broker to investor. And then once I was an investor, um, I did the same thing. And I said, okay, well, I I want to find out how to develop. I want to learn how to develop and I want to be around developers. And so the only way for me to do that was to deal source development deals to developers. And so I would do the same thing. I made the transition and I would I would find properties that um, were ideal for development. And then I would build a network of developers and say, okay, here's here's an opportunity. What do you think about it? What do you need to buy it at? What are construction costs? What are zoning? You know, what's the zoning and how can you slice and dice this lot? And how can you how can you maximize every single deal? And I would learn. And then once we'd get them under contract, we'd go through the inspection process. And it's like, okay, oh, you guys don't do anything like the residential guys do right. inspections. So it was like, like, what was the differences? So when you buy a single family property, you want to look at, you, you're going to hire a traditional home inspector. You're looking at the condition of the house. You want to know the mechanical, the roof, um, is there structural issues, you know, um, all that stuff. And then, and then you kind of negotiate based on that. Um, when it comes to development, all that's out the window. The only thing that you're really concerned about on a development deal is your asbestos test, your soils test, and your survey. So you want to, you and really the only physical aspect to that, to the house or to the structure is the asbestos. Mm -hmm. So when you uh, go into a property, you'll, you'll basically take a little, you know, quarter inch size holes throughout certain suspect areas that might have asbestos. And then you get a bid to remediate them. Um, but you need to have that, that asbestos test in hand and done um, and, and all completed by the time you demo the property. Right. So just some, so just some little differences. What was a typical development deal when you were doing that? When you were starting out and you wanted to learn development, were these guys building duplexes or five-story buildings? Or what was the typical, Yeah. what was like your middle-of-the-road development deal when you say development? Because I know people listening, yeah. they think different things when they hear development. Absolutely. So I did definitely start on a smaller scale. This was in 2013. I made that transition where we said, okay, we want to identify development lots here for, and we want to try to wholesale as many development lots as we can until we start to do it on our own. So 2013, we made that transition in 2013-14. Um, we really started to capitalize in the, um, excuse me, the uh, uh, Berkeley neighborhood. Okay. So right off of 38th, so in the Highlands area. Oh, yeah. And Berkeley was just blowing up. I mean, there was, uh, there's a lot of TU zoning, which is two unit zoning. So we would find a lot of these houses in the mid threes that, you know, from a development standpoint are worth, you know, high threes and fours. And so we would make that transition and we would just, we would just get a, a ton of single family houses and then we'd flip them there. Duplexes. Yeah. Duplexes so duplexes and, wall and some off the side duplexes. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so are you wholesaling a deal or are you buying it down? Like what, what's your, can you, can you walk through like your exact process on what you're doing there? Yeah. Well, that was, yeah. Back in the day. So we, um, we typically try to steer away from assignments. Basically okay. the way that we do it would be a double close. So I would go in and I would purchase it and then I would. I would sell it to the uh, to the buyer. So I mean that would be done within a a day. You so, know, I mean, so it would... time out here. Explain the differences and nuances between assigning a contract and doing a double close. Yeah, absolutely. So when you do an assignment, basically you are selling the rights to that contract. So you would do the contract, and then you have to specifically state um, that this contract is assignable to another LLC or uh, legal entity. And so 
Um, when you have a buyer lined out, then you draft an assignment, which basically just hands over all the rights to that contract. And then the buyer's name is now replaced on the contract and it's 100% their contract. And then you collect a fee um, for doing so. And that fee is specified in the assignment. Then if you're doing a double close, um, a double close is you're, you're purchasing the property from the seller and you, you purchase it at 10 a.m. And then you uh, basically turn around and immediately resell that property to the end buyer. And whatever your spread is, is what you keep. So and, and it's often like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., right? Like it's the same day often? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of times we would do same day. Sometimes we would, uh, you know, sometimes we would buy it, um, you know, and, and have to hold on to it for a week or so. Um, you know, as we matured and got a little bit more into involved, then we would we would purchase them and then we would go through entitlement processes so we can create a value add by getting an architect on board and say, OK, we're going to purchase it for this. And then we're gonna we're gonna get an architect, and they're gonna design. So say we purchase a single family house, and you can put ten townhomes there. So then we would hire an architect. The architect would do a site plan, put up you know ten ten units on that site, um, and then we would in turn get it partially entitled, and then we would flip that to a developer at a later date. Mm, that's worth so, more, right? Because you've done more groundwork and you have kind of a proof of concept. Yeah, to a developer, it's worth a little bit more. Absolutely, worth a lot more. So yeah, the the value add is: Are you going to sell it just as is? You're going to sell the lot just as is, or are you going to sell it partially entitled, or you can sell it fully entitled, or you just buy it and then develop it and do the whole process on your own, and then turn around, um, you know, and and uh, you know, just full retail. I love that. So 2013, that's where you're starting. You're starting to sell to developers that are doing duplexes and smaller multis. Yeah, and then walk us through the progression after that. Deals you wanted to learn because you wanted to develop. Yeah, yeah. Right? So you started finding deals they wanted to add value to them. So then they'd basically show you the yep. business model. Yeah, absolutely. So then I learned the ins and outs of development. Uh, took a couple of years. The deals got bigger. Um, we started moving from Berkeley. Then we went into Sloan's Lake. Um, Sloan's Lake had a lot of bigger parcels. And so um, we would do the same thing over there. And, and I mean, basically the way that we would um, identify properties is we would look at the zoning map and say, okay, where where is the market moving and where will the zoning allow for it to move and so you can have an area that's hot but if the zoning doesn't allow it if the if it's a bunch of low density zoning then you're not that's going to be a very slow go yeah yeah it could take a take 10 years before you see the market really start to to go gangbusters over there but if you go into a market where there's high density zoning then it's the path of least resistance and you'll see development go into those areas significantly faster right. and you'll start to see those property values jump up considerably so that's that's basically what we did is we would just read markets we would purchase properties then we started acquiring rental properties in these areas that were on the up and coming right. because we were kind of there before calm before the storm like you were you were buying and holding them then yourself? we would buy them and hold them okay. yeah then we started building a, a rental portfolio strictly of development deals hoping that they would cash flow i would say you know i mean um you know, majority of my rental properties do not cash flow if they'll break even. You know, my my goal is not to cash flow on these deals. And I know a lot of guys from the multifamily standpoint, you want to, you know, you know, I want a five cap, six cap, seven cap. I mean, you want to get a certain return. You know, with mine, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I want to break even. How can I break even on this thing? And that's just to hold it till you can sell it. Oh, that's a great point right take, there. That's, yeah. a, that's a phenomenal point is that you know your box though. You know, yeah. It's like, you know right. your game, you know what you're good at. You know that you can, you're basically can tell the next area to pop in a certain city. So in Denver, 
those of you listening that are around the country, you know, these are areas that had a lot of growth in the last 10 years. So Sloan's Lake's really trendy, really yeah. up and coming. A lot of millennials want to live there, a lot of new construction. But you were in there really before it experienced that. So what Brandon's Absolutely. talking about here is that he knew what he was good at. You knew how to identify areas of a city that were about to explode. And you would just go in there and pick off certain lots and then hold them. And your goal was really just to break even. 100%. So you could be more aggressive than an investor like myself that's like, man, I need a 10% spread or a 12% spread. You're like, hey, if I just break even, what's that number? And I'll pay that. Exactly. Because you knew that in five years or three years down the road, you were going to sell 20 lots in that area and the and it was going to appreciate by 25%. Boom, right? the appreciation. You're yeah, absolutely right. So that's phenomenal. So, I, so I, I bank on appreciation. I know that that's a very high risk move from real estate standpoint. But not like, if you're in what you're doing because you kind of control it a little bit. You, you know oh, what oh yeah. Selling, it's an right? educated yeah. risk. You yeah. didn't just, you're not gambling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not just going into a market and I'm like, okay, well, it's going to go up. Everything's going to go up and, and right. you know, it's just going to naturally float at specific. 6% every yeah. year. It's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. I'm, I'm purchasing a property that I know has amazing zoning and that value is absolutely in the land, no matter what market I'm in. Right. There is always a demand for the land if you've got good zoning and, and whatever market. So um, just to give you an example, so right now I've got uh, three single families that uh, two of them, they're all right next to each other over um, by, uh, not too far from here actually, uh, uh, Colorado and Evans area oh, yeah. basically. Denver Academy, the, the high school right there. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, we're right on the edge of that. And so... Um, we've got three, three par, it's about 20,000 square foot parcel. It's uh, SMU five. Yeah. Wow. We assembled it and, um, we're going to put 18 townhomes there wow. in, uh, in the, the first quarter of 2021. Nice. And are you actually developing yourself? Yeah. Okay, yeah. We're so developing you're, you're that ourselves. Into, you're developing every, yeah. Yeah. So we've now. done development deals as well. Okay. And basically what we, what we kind of got into from, uh, as opposed to just like being full on our, just a developer is we would kind of syndicate these transactions where we'd say, okay, you know, we know how to find deals. We have deals. We have capital. We're purchasing these things. How do we get into a place where we can leverage our time and still make the profits of a developer and while we're mm-hmm. doing some development, but still stay on the deal sourcing side as well? Because that's that's really where we make our, our bread and butter is finding opportunities. Because when you have an opportunity, you can assemble a team around that opportunity, right. you know, a lot easier than just trying to assemble a team. So, um, for instance, on this 18 unit, we have a developer who's a partner owner, um, who've done a ton of deals with, and then we have a architect who is a, uh, one of the largest architects for townhome development in the city. I mean, this guy's probably done half of the development deals he's been the architect on. He's also the owner. So he's doing his part of it. And then, uh, me and my partner. And so we'll, we'll help develop it, but we also get the land at a really good price. We assemble it. Once we have a good basis on the land, we can start putting people right. in, in place to say, okay, let's be a partner on this, yeah. you know, and oh, you're going to be an architect. Okay. Throw your services in. Okay. You're going to be a GC, throw your services right. in, you know, and we'll, wanna, we'll bring you in at land. this. Yeah. We'll right. bring you in at this basis. Right. We'll bring you in at this price. You do your services for free. We'll do our services for free. I love it because then they're vested. Everyone's got skin in the game and like the people get things done that way like that is i i love when you create opportunities like that that's that's great thank you thank you i think i like as you align interest right is everyone wants the same thing a profitable project the architect wants to get it done as cheap as possible the builder wants to get as cheap as possible because they're aligned with the more profitable it is the more money everyone makes so right that's a great that's a great strategy yeah absolutely i mean i so go ahead i was gonna ask so i know you're and you're buying a lot of these lots and houses and you're 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 underwriting very differently than me joe and terrence will 
how do you like, what's your quick underwriting overview and how do you finance them? Like, is this cash doing construction loans, private money, line of credit? Yeah. So, um, as far as the underwriting goes, I mean, pretty much the inspection process is how I look at it. Um, you are going through, you know, purchasing the property and then looking at the zoning, you know, basically know what your construction costs are going to be and then what you can sell it for. So you would look at it from two different standpoints. Um, is the development going to be a for sale or is it going to be a for rent? Um, because that's a, that's a, you know, that's a different, that's a different game. Um, typically the way that we underwrite everything is looking at it from a for sale perspective. Okay. If we can make this, if we can get this to pencil out, we're, we're going to do townhomes for sale. Then you're talking about to build for sale versus to build out to rent. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, nine times out of 10, I don't think I've ever seen anything different, honestly, but if you can build a product for sale, it pencils out for rent. Right. You know, if you can get it to, yeah, yeah, if you can get it to, to pencil out that way, it'll go the other way. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, um, for instance, the, the 18 units that we're doing here, we were talking about selling them and then we're like, well, wait a minute, the rental market is just so phenomenal right now. It doesn't seem like it's really going anywhere. Um, and we can probably make another 10, 15% premium on our value just by turning these into rentals. Wow. You know, and so it's like, you know, now now we're on board with, okay, let's build these 18 and then keep them as rentals as opposed to selling them, splitting them off individually. And selling and splitting them off individually is a ton of work. Right. You know, there's a lot of brokering involved in that. And there's there's just a lot of I guess someone has to sit different. there and show those all day and, you know, oh, yeah. and everything. Oh, so yeah. The, so walk me through this 18 unit. So you assembled three lots in a really good area yeah. of Denver. And what are the sizes of each unit going to be? Uh, roughly fourteen hundred square feet. Oh, so it's pretty good they're, size. Yeah, they're so gonna three be three bed, two bath. Or actually, you know what? Those are our bigger units. No, I'm sorry. Uh, the the they they range from eleven to fourteen hundred. Okay. Yeah, they are eleven hundred square feet. They're all around like two two. Oh, two you two. You know, two okay. twos. Yeah. With the ones that have the rooftop view, that kind of build. You know, we actually um we didn't do a, we're we're not doing a rooftop on okay. these. Okay. Yeah, you know, and in a three story kind of type. It thing? is a three okay. story, like yeah. parking on the yeah, parking, parking right. on the um first Bottom, floor. Right. And then two, three stories above that, that's, cool. or three, I'm sorry, two stories above that that's going to be living. Yeah. yeah, there's not a lot of rooftop decks over that part of town, right? That's not, oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there, okay. yeah, there is. There's a lot of rooftop decks over okay. there. Um, and we're we're actually, uh, I mean, from a rental standpoint, you know, the cost is, is more expensive to put a rooftop deck. Right. You don't really yeah. get that in return. Yeah. Off of rent. It's more of a sexy thing you probably get when you're selling them. I would think. Yeah, exactly. Like the resale, the woman goes up there and she likes the view and she's like, oh, honey, let's buy this. Type oh, thing. yeah. Like, from a rental perspective. Dude, I like the views too, you're man. Gonna, <laughs> 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 right, so, well, hey, guys. We I, all know who's going to pay a premium. Yeah. I have the same philosophy when it comes to buying a boat. I don't want to own the boat. Right. I'll be buddies with a guy that owns the boat. So, right. you have got that money pit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So, uh, we're going live here. Um, so, me, Terrence Soil, we have our special guests here, Brandon Gill and Joe Master as well during happy hour. I know we got some people on Facebook Live. We got some people Instagram Live watching us. If you guys have questions, feel free to throw it in here. We are honestly drinking whiskey and just having a good chat about real estate. So hang out, but definitely throw your questions on here. We do check them every like 10 minutes or so at this rate. So <laughs> perfect. So what kind of projects? So you got that new townhome going on. What what else is the bread and butter of your business right now? What do you what are you seeing out there? Have you seen things change since COVID? You know, yeah. Since yeah. You know, honestly, um, so I would say uh, 2013 started the business and then um, deal flow from 2013 to 2017 was amazing. I mean, you know, we just we, we had marketing set up and we just had 
so many deals coming through the pipeline and we were working so many things, we could say, okay, well, let's let's hold hold this, let's wholesale this, let's develop this. You know, we would we would just do. A, a, we were very flexible because we had so many deals coming in. 2018, things started getting a little bit a little bit drier. And I what think, was that do? I, I think a lot of that is because um, there's only so much land in Denver, and then there were so many people that were developing, and so you know, it's just it's like just how, it's, it's like musical chairs. Like how many? Who's going to get a seat now? Who's going to get a property? And who's going to get a lot to develop that actually makes sense? What was your what, what was your marketing? Are you doing like direct mails, networking, like? Yeah, Your so that general, one, what can you give us that can make the secret sauce? This is one of his like one of the things you do best, right? Is marketing. <laughs> so I don't know how much he wants to divulge, but yeah, tell us what kind of marketing work best and yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah, so you know, guys, I mean, honestly, um, the only way to communicate with people is either going to be through um, digital advertising, mailing, face to face, or voice to voice. Like those are really the only ways that you're going to get in front of somebody. Yeah. And so I would encourage if anybody's out there considering getting into real estate um, to look at all four aspects and do all four, you know, get in front of people. I mean, my marketing would be very niche as in I would door knock a lot of these lots and owners of these lots. And I wouldn't necessarily just go out into a neighborhood and just start door knocking 100 houses. I would do a lot of my back end research at the office and I would have a lot of maps. I have a lot of mapping software. And so I would um, do a lot of aerial searches and then I would identify these lots. And then um, by the time I go out to that person, that, that property owner, I have an offer in hand. I have my price completely dialed in and I know like exactly. Like a physical printed offer? Oh, absolutely. Okay. If I can't even, if I can't get a hold of them, I'll show up at their property with the offer in hand and say, hi, Mr. Seller, I've been trying to get a hold of you and I haven't been able to reach you, but I just wanted to let you know I'm here to purchase your property at 123 Main Street. Here's my offer. You that know? would get attention, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. They'll, they'll open the door. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, they'll, yeah. They'll, all of a sudden, they'll slide the chain over and be like, I'm sorry, what, what, did, what, what did you say? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, some people interpreted it as intrusive at times, but I never had anybody that, that at the end of the conversation or at the end of us sitting down, they were like, well, how's after you? You know, nobody's nobody's done that one. Yeah, you know? that's creative and like, yeah, I mean, you've done your homework, man. And you do your homework, yeah. So, I mean, there's hours and hours of research done on a particular property before I ever show up. Now, when you're before you go door knock, are you doing like mailers and calls first, or is your first point yeah, of contact yeah. like a door knock? Yeah, so we do, we do, uh, we do telemarketing, we do calls, we also do mailers as well. Okay, um, so you're you're doing the full. We do everything. Full marketing. Yeah, books. we do everything. I, I don't do digital. I don't do digital, and I'm looking at doing some digital right now. Um, but as far as, you know, it's, it's interesting because in real estate, um, and this goes from investor to broker to anybody really in the real estate game, you know, that you have to reinvent yourself every couple of years, whatever yeah, your so market, true, you know, so isn't after that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's not even, I think on an annual basis, you go through these little mic micro shifts, but then every like four or five years, you go through some macro shifts where you have to completely change the game on what you're doing and how you're doing it to get the same results right. um, or more results. And so um, so basically we came to this aha moment uh, last year and, and through this year, through COVID, we've realized, you know what, we, we completely abandoned the single family model and market because we have been focused on development for these last you know seven years and, and also multifamily. And so it's like, but we know single family extremely well. We know multifamily extremely well, and we know land extremely well. So why would we abandon these other trades yeah. when we know them like the back of our hand? 
And so we're, we have marketing set in place now where it's like, okay, we're, we're going to go after single family, multifamily and land deals, all of them. We're not just going to stay with land and we're not just going to like peruse multifamily, um, the way that we've been doing, you know, we're, we're, we're just going to go hard in all three asset classes and it's going to be around calling and mailing and door knocking, obviously door knocking, not with COVID, but, um, not too far away from doing some door knocking. I I feel pretty comfortable with it. It, I mean, whatever it is right now, October 1st, you know, I feel like, um, you know, I I feel comfortable enough in the market to get out there and start doing some door knocking again. Well, especially the thing is too, like, I mean, it'll be double-edged sword, but like not, not too many people are door knocking. I've not had too many, like, you know, solar panel salesmen come through my door since COVID. Oh yeah. Or, you know, you know, wherever they're selling. So that double-edged sword, but you're not, you're the only guy out there door knocking. Yeah. So we do have a question here. Oh, we got a couple questions. Can I throw them at you? Please. All right. So Laura says, this is referring back to your, uh, your development townhome plays. Why only three stories? Denver seems so spread out with low buildings versus other cities which takes up much more land. Why not build up if you have more capital? So that's a really good question. Yeah. We're yeah. smart. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, in, in regards to the townhome space, it looks kind of funny if you're doing uh, three <laughs> stories story above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is a it's sweet spot, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, it, when you're talking about townhomes, there is a sweet spot where you have to be at a price per square foot. And if you overbuild on that square footage, you're not going to achieve your price point. And the cost of construction in Denver right now, not too sure, Laura, if you're from Denver, but cost of construction right now is like 200 to two and a quarter. And so you- A foot. A foot. Yeah, yeah 225 bucks a square foot. So you don't want to overbuild in an area where you're not going to get that kind of return. So um, really that 15, 1,500 square feet is kind of the sweet spot um, you know, for, for where you can maximize your profit and return for your costs of construction. Um, however, though, that's only in regards to townhomes because apartment style building is, has been, has, has been monstrous in Denver and people absolutely go up, um, go up higher density and, and they get the density, it. It makes right? sense. You can park it. You can build it, right? If I mean, you, kind of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right on that. If you can park it, you build it. yep, you can build it <laughs> for sure. Parking? Okay. Let me build as many units yeah. that meet that yep. parking. Right. And and I think one of the biggest struggles with higher density projects is in, in regards to parking is the underground um, aspect. If you have to if you have to go underground with parking, it's considerably more expensive for your development. Oh, cost a fortune. Oh, it's so expensive. Yeah. And, and, you know, your returns just get pushed out that much longer. And so people really shy away from that um, as opposed to, uh, you know, even just doing one or two floors of parking and then going three, four or five stories of living. Um, that's something that, that is very common. Um, we've done we've done some apartment deals as well, um, but you know the the majority of our business has been aimed around townhome sites. Okay. So can I throw another question at you, please, Alex? So Alex says, and Walker, if you see stuff on Instagram, uh, do not be shy to interrupt us, please. Got one on hold right now. All right, well right. you're you're up next, man. So Alex says, are you? Ex- are you expecting a crash with the eviction moratorium and so many tenants not paying rent um, that there are more investment properties that are going to hit the market? Yeah, this is a great question. It's something that's been circulating throughout investment groups, I think, for the last six months. Really commonly, uh, everybody's concerned about it. And I think, I think everybody is more hopeful of a crash than a crash is realistic, in my personal opinion. 
Um, there is definitely a moratorium with the evictions, and I think there will be a slight surge um, of, of people who are going to go through some pain for a couple of months. But from a landlord perspective, I think that landlord, landlords are still bullish in the rental market. And I think if they get rid of bad tenants that aren't paying, the amount of people that are in line to re-rent those properties, um, I won't put those landlords in distress. You know, they, they still see a demand there. So um, there's been some great charts that have come out from your castle as well in regards to um, just the national average equity position of a homeowner. You know, a typical homeowner is dealing with about 15% equity right now. So if things get a little bit tough, then people will be able to sell and it won't be necessarily a distress sale. So like waiting for an influx of foreclosures and short sales, I personally don't see it happening. Um, I'm somewhat of a YouTube connoisseur though. And so I kind of get sucked into these <laughs> black holes of YouTube where it's like, you know, even like, you know, you just listen to so many guys, there's guys that I like super look up to. Right. And I'm just like, Oh, why are you guys doing this? Oh, the crash is coming. The crash. Oh my God. The worst thing we've ever seen, you know, but and those headlines get clicks. It's clickbait. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So I, but I mean, I quit clicking because I don't feel like it's validated at all anymore. And, um, you know, when COVID was happening, it's like, okay, I think everybody is believing what's going on. And they're like, oh, wow, the sky is falling, you know, and now, now we're getting through this and it's like, oh, you know, I, I don't see the market taking a crash like that, but I do think it's market specific. And I feel personally, Denver is very well insulated from the rest of the market um, because we have very high, we have positive net migration. People are still coming here. Businesses are still coming here. Yep. And a lot of those are white collar businesses. Um, you know, in tech jobs. So we still have a lot of people that are coming here. Um, we're not really industry based on, you know, blue collar jobs. So that's a big reason why I feel Denver is going to be insulated from the rest of the market. Um, and even I think September was one of our worst months nationally for rent collection was at like 76%. Um, you know, and even that, I mean, that's that I, I, that I think would be about as bad as it's going to get. Um, and, and that's not even that bad. Then you have to factor in too people who are just not paying rent because of the moratorium. They can afford to. Those people, if they get evicted, they're going to go out and re-rent a place again as well. You know, there's 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 still a lot of jobs here, so I really don't think if if you're if you're trying to time the market for a crash, I think you'll be waiting on the sidelines. Honestly, I agree. Wonderful. So I'm going to go around, yeah. Joe. I mean, quickly, do you is there gonna be a crash in Denver? Yes, no. What are your thoughts? No, absolutely not. Um, Brandon hit the nail on the head. Rent collections have not gone down in a material number to lead to foreclosures. If they do go down, rent collections go down significantly. Everyone has enough equity. There's not going to be any foreclosure. You simply sell. You list it and sell. Right now, we have, what, 1.2, 1.1 months of inventory. All right. If we were to double tomorrow the number of homes on the market, we'd have about two to two and a half months worth of inventory. That's still not enough to have enough homes for people to buy. That's still a seller's market, right? right. If we yeah. quadrupled it, we took the number of months of inventory and multiplied it by four, got four times as many listings, we would get close to a balanced market, right? I assure you, any foreclosures that come down the road, any one or two pickup in sales is not gonna be enough to make a material impact on this market. Right, I agree, 100%, yeah. Joe, no. 100%. Is Denver crashing? Yes, no? Yeah, I don't think multifamily or single family or townhomes are crashing. I think you could look at different asset classes. I think office could have some pain no. a little bit, depending oh, on if you're downtown yeah. office or class A yes. office. I think people are downsizing office. I think if you own a space that's zoned for a restaurant, that could have some pain. I think retail, mm -hmm. especially class A retail, there could be some yeah. pain. 
but net net as a whole is the Denver market crashing? Definitely not. And we're mostly in residential here. And I think single family homes, like we talked about migration, you know, multifamily and with the jobs and migration, there's a lot of renters out there. Uh, we have a massive oversupply of people looking for apartments and an undersupply of apartments for them to rent, especially affordable apartments. So I just don't think the numbers, you know, show that there could be or is going to be a crash in the residential space. I think there could be some some pain if you own commercial retail, commercial office, especially class A office. I just think those are, you know, those could take five or six years to get back to where we were in 2019, 2020. But I just think there could be pain there. I don't know about a crash. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Actually, my office is in a 10 story um, office building in Colorado Boulevard in the business district there. And it's it. The cars have not filled back up more than 50 percent of what they were COVID in that office building. And I mean, there's several hundred units in there. And I mean, is that, would you say that's a class A or B? Class B. class B. Class B. Class B. Yeah. yeah. Is that right? It's like Colorado and 25. Yeah. Colorado and I-25 okay. behind the Best Buy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. right yeah. facing on the highway. Yep. yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, we, we and, and I don't know if those are people that have just not renewed their leases or people that are still paying, but not coming in because of fear of, you know, getting, you know, uh, coming down with yeah. COVID. So, you know, that's that's interesting to look at. I think office and retail yeah. it absolutely is definitely in some pain. pain. Definitely yeah. not residential. I mean, there's... Well, residential, yeah. if, if you're the class A downtown residential, they're feeling some pain. Right. There's high-end condos and a lot of those apartment buildings out there. I mean, they're, I mean, the, the I condos... you're downtown anything, oh, yeah. you're feeling pain right now. Yeah. But, I mean, that why, do you, why do you live urban, downtown? I want right. to walk to my Oh, I want to go to Rocky's Games. I want to walk to my coffee yeah. shop. Yeah. I want to walk to the gym. All these things are closed right, right. now, right? Yeah. So yeah. nobody's renting those, but the people that are in them are already there yeah. and nobody's buying those. But I think that's short term, medium term, yeah. right? Yeah. You're going to... I think a couple years. I think a couple, you know, think a couple exactly. years. 2021, 2022, you get past all this. It's going to be it's going to be out there. So if you're looking for something to buy and you think now might be a good time, buy something downtown and just understand <laughs> you're probably going to lose money, maybe break even, yeah. but you'll probably get a pop of... 5, 10, 15% appreciation in three to five years. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You get a deal downtown. Yeah. Most of those guys are institutional. So yep. It'll be interesting to see how they behave. I agree. Those aren't like guys like yeah. us. Well, they borrow money so cheap. Those guys are, yeah, those guys They're are Wall Street. getting yeah, money. Yeah, cheaper. absolutely. You know, hey. one, one thing that is oh, yeah. really interesting about the multifamily and, and touched on this. So um, just doing market research and multifamily around the metro right now and in the last couple of months, TJ, me and you have talked about this offline, but um, you know, I am starting to see, especially in areas like North Aurora, where um, there's kind of a it's class C neighborhood, class C tenant base. We're seeing a ton of supply right. coming on the market right. in that area. And, you know, I mean, is that for the new builds or just there's not like a lot the of new builds over there. It's, Other than right you know, you can't really justify around Fitzsimmons. Yeah, you can't really justify okay. the construction costs from a mm-hmm. apartment standpoint in that so area. So what are you seeing over there? Because I like the area a lot. We buy a lot of like house hacks and single families over there. It's kind of like okay. ride the growth way. Like, what are you seeing? Yeah, I would say in the last couple of months, I've probably seen, you know, the floor for the price per door um, go from like 130 to 120. For multi? For multifamily. Okay. Yeah. 130,000 a door to 120,000 a door. We're starting to um, even have off market conversations with sellers right now at, you know, 110 a door. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, very interesting to see because of that amount of supply. And even the sellers of these of these portfolios are they're nervous. They're like, you know, I, I see that on the market as well. I don't know why that's happening, yeah. you know, but I'm willing to sell my, well, you know why it's happening. It's, it's a class C tenant and everybody's scared right. with the eviction moratorium and all that. So I think there will be pockets of distress, um, distresses in like price reductions, but 
I don't think anybody's given anything away. I also think there's like the psychological aspect of it is like if people are like, I mean, we've seen some portfolios come across our way and Terrence has picked a few properties as well. You, you probably have as well um, where they're like, hey, I've owned it for 20 years. I just want to cash out or they're like, oh my gosh, I'm worried. Let me sell. I think there is some like panicking selling going on or, or potential panicking going on. Yeah. I think yeah. there was a couple deals we had there, but nothing significant. I agree. I think Aurora is kind of like New York right now. That like, if you can buy, if you can take two years or three years of being patient, yeah, I think Aurora is going to come back. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen it. You know, we've collected maybe ninety percent. I think ninety percent of rents since April, I, or all of Denver. But Aurora is maybe like 82, 83, 84. Okay. So Aurora is a little bit lower. But I think that's just you know, it's there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I think if you can buy right and you're patient and you have a long term horizon. I do think now is a good time to buy Aurora because, like you said, a lot of people that own there are pressing the sell button and the panic button. Yeah. They want out. Yeah. But you yeah. can get it at a good basis. I have Absolutely. to disagree with your uh, metaphor or whatever it is there from, I mean, not quite like New York City. I mean, they're seeing like 30, 40% rent drops over there. Well, I'm like, just saying Aurora is the New York of Denver. If there was a if there was a suburb to buy, do you agree with that, Joe? I, I feel like after the, it's I have the only to the, place where you can well, get a it, really a, it, a deep discount in Denver right now. Yeah, where else is doing fine? Aurora, I'm just telling you. Like, yeah, more, more and, and something else too. I mean, it is really interesting to see those prices go down because, you know, alluding to the landlords in the office space and retail space, all of those guys are, you know, I, I see some distress there, and I see all of them moving into a multifamily. The multifamily asset class. I that's so of office and retail. Yeah, I see. I see. Yeah, office yeah, and retail landlords. Like, right. okay, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go into something a little bit more secure and moving into the multifamily space, which was already completely saturated and in in my opinion overvalued. Yep. Is gonna get nothing but more overvalued and saturated in years to come. You know, I I really feel like that. I mean, I'm just speaking from data. The people that are not. <laughs> I guess, I'm just saying. I'm Aurora. saying. This, not, this I'm is saying, not saying, like. This is not like. Aurora is the, the gloves. Get the, the gloves, guys. Yeah, yeah. She's not like emotional like, about that. Yeah. That's a pretty nah, big stretch. Like, <laughs> I, I think you. Okay, Joe. You. We were rolling your eyes. We can rewind the tape. I said it's the New York of Denver. I don't. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only distressed place to buy in Denver is Aurora. I wouldn't exactly say that the Arapahoe Courthouse is exactly like the Empire State Building, but it's similar over there. It's similar. Architecture. Is different. <laughs> the, the climate of sellers. I think looking at the at people, um, I, don't, I don't want to say panicking, but the the lower rent collections, people being a little bit more distressed. I would agree. Uh, for our seven county metro area, Aurora is certainly under the most pressure. As yeah. compared to you look at the state of New York, New York City is certainly under the yeah. most pressure. So I would agree with that analogy. Um, bit of a stretch. But mm-hmm. I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I, I need to. I need to <laughs> upset with me. But well, they're roasting you today, <laughs> TJ. But yeah, Terrence, this is I need to drink more to get, yeah. get that stress. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Walker, that's the answer. That's definitely the answer. Like twenty minutes ago, with a question on Instagram. Question. Yeah. So okay, so we've got a question on Instagram. Um, Carrie from Rent by DIY asked if there's any tips uh, on what to write on postcards for direct mailing and she specifically asked for single family flips but yeah yeah so i mean i get a ton of these and we're you know we're you know we're always analyzing and looking what works and doesn't work um you know and and i honestly i this is one thing that um i try not to get too hung up on is the messaging as long as your messaging is hey we want to we want to purchase your property and we want to do it no nonsense at the 
least amount of stress as possible for the highest dollar amount, as long as you can get that messaging across, um, it doesn't really matter how you do it. And I think it's a matter of quantity. You know, it's it's how many contacts can you reach as opposed to how you reach them because, um, you know, they're, they're getting bombarded by mail constantly every day. Every seller has 10, 20, 15 mailers that they're receiving every couple of months. So you're getting thrown into a, a stack. You really have to just pick up your volume considerably, especially in the single family realm. You just have to pick up your volume considerably. I mean, even if you do one deal out of 10,000 flyers, you'll be able to get you'll be able to get a return to justify doing that twice and and beefing it up. So I, I would just say get get as big as possible. Don't get too hung up on the messaging. What about volume versus consistency versus messaging? Yeah. So I mean, again, you just want to make those contacts as consistent as possible. Um, so would you take consistency over volume? Uh, yeah. Well, I'd say those will go hand in hand. I mean, um, you want to you want to constantly be be marketing to as many people as possible. Um, if you send out one flyer to a hundred thousand people, um, I think you'll you'll get more if you send ten flyers ten thousand times. Yeah. Let's say. I mean, let me repeat this because I always you know, this is always like a great marketing question. Hey, you can afford a hundred thousand flyers. Yeah, you send that one flyer to a hundred thousand people, or ten flyers to yeah. ten thousand people. Yeah, yeah. I, so I just, volume I, versus I just, I, I just misspoke. I'm sorry. I okay. would send out. I would send out ten flyers ten thousand times. Yep. Okay. Yeah, ten ten thousand people as opposed to one a hundred thousand times. So that makes sense. Yeah, I would. I would break I it up and I would just start staying in front of people because the likelihood that somebody's going to be willing to sell that day is going to be very very small. But if you can straddle somebody or you can get them when they're, they've been on the three months before, the three months, you know, considering if you're within that quarter range of them thinking about selling and you hit them on the front end of it and then you hit them on the back end of it, you've got a very high success, uh, chance of success. So is your frequency like quarterly or um, I'm kind of curious? We're we're, we're experimenting with that right now. And that's a lot of where um, we actually... uh, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely looking at, at quarterly at minimum, okay. quarterly at minimum. So, um, so the, you know, keep, the, keep in the mind, fortune is truly in the follow-up. You guys have heard that's that sales. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Before, right? yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we have deals, especially on the development side where, I mean, I've, I've spoken with people and talked to them, stayed in contact for years. I mean, five, six years before we get a deal out of it. Obviously, the price keeps changing dramatically <laughs> well, over five or six years, but, but we talk, get a deal. <laughs> let's talk about this because this is something that Terrence and I often like, uh, I mean, I feel like we're a broken record on. It's just like, is to boil it down, you're persistent. And actually, mm-hmm. I'll say it sounds like you're pleasantly persistent and you're patient. And I feel like yeah. that is something that is so overlooked in like, you read the headlines, you know, various, you know, real estate investing websites. It's all about going, you know, you know, zero to rich in such a short time frame. Yeah. But you're really talking about just being patient and persistent. Can you talk about Because I, I get con- contacted by, I know Terrence does as well, a lot of like, you know, newer, younger people want to get into real estate. And it's like, just chill out. Y'all play the long game. Can you kind of like yeah. talk about your evolution there and give some people some wisdom on there since you're, yeah, yeah. you're over 30 now at least, right? Over 30? I'm 34. Okay. So yeah, yeah, 34. You get yeah. some wisdom now. Yeah, I know. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, um, you know, basically I would, my first experience, especially with mailers is, um, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't get any results until my six, six month period. Um, so yeah, you want to stay consistent and be in front of people as much as possible. But I would say there's always this ebb and flow to real estate where you're going to like, you're going to get these peaks and valleys. And that is just something that is, that is 
absolute in real estate. And so um, just be patient through those peaks and valleys. And when things are really, really good, know that you've got to invest and put money back into the business. Like it's really important to funnel and keep your marketing going um, and for when things get bad, because things will get bad. Um, absolutely. And it doesn't matter who you are or That's what right. you're doing, That's you know? Right. So things how do get you... Bad. And, and I think it's more resistance. I think it's more of a struggle than it is good times, honestly, which I enjoy the struggle. So it's all good to me. Yeah. But, you know, it, real estate is, you know, pushing boulders up the mountains. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough industry because it's very saturated. So yeah, be patient and learn to love the process. So without going into like, you know, specific numbers, but like, it, it's always an interesting thing. Like, you know, myself and the comments always expect the recessions two or three years away is the, the common field. COVID obviously kind of run by surprise. So are you, are you doubling down your marketing? Are you upping your cash reserves? Like what's your strategy to, you know, obviously get through this turbulent times, but also like, Hey, there are some opportunities as well. Like what's your, your high level strategy on there? Yeah, absolutely. So I have sold out of some uh, really choice assets in the last uh, year. And I've, I've been more cash heavy. Um, is that know, for not, opportunity or like just to be conservative? Um, it's to be a little bit conservative, yeah. but also knowing that I, I kind of want to change the direction that I'm going and just work a more of a volume based, um, model. And so I'd like to get more cash heavy to be able to do that. Um, and just, uh, you know, I, I think that there's going to be opportunity in the market no matter what, but I mean, like right now, for instance, um, would be a great time. We have an election coming up in 30 days. It would be a great time to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to sit on my hands for the next 30 days and not do anything. And, you know, so mixed with we're in the middle of a pandemic, it's going into the fourth quarter of real estate, which notoriously is slow, you know, in real estate. And then, um, you know, just mixing all those things together and then the election year coming up, you know, in, in 30 days. So I think that it's a, um, a good time to be bullish right now. We're going after deals super hard um, because a lot of people are sitting on their hands right now. So I mean, I'm, I'm, we're going for broke. I mean, I'm, I'm making as many contacts as possible. We're ramping up marketing. We're doing new hires. We're, uh, we're, we're getting very, very bullish right now. I love it. Can I add something to that? Please, I, love I could it. not Please. agree more with right now. We have a 37 day opportunity. It's 37 days until the election. Guess what everyone is doing. Watching the TV right. that says the world is going to end. Well, tonight is the, the debate. Yeah, like, tonight is I mean, the first debate. That's not like positive. I can't wait for news. That, by the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all we're doing is watching these horrible yeah. news headlines that say the world is going to end. Right. Yeah. So if I'm thinking about selling my home, the only reason I'm going to sell my home is if I absolutely have to. Yeah. Right. Now, what's going to happen immediately following the debate? Fifty percent of, or not the debate, the election. Fifty percent of people are going to be thrilled. Fifty percent of people are going to be uber upset. Right? <laughs> yeah. Who's yeah. going to list their home? The 50% of people that are uber upset that are moving to wherever it is they're moving. Yeah. Who's moving to Canada after this election? Right. So, yeah. from really from right now until January, what, 23rd or whenever the inauguration is, you have a huge opportunity as an investor to buy properties while sellers are scared, panicked, and irrational. Yeah. And that is a great time to take advantage of the market. And I don't believe in timing 100%. the market except for once every four years, we get like a 90 day opportunity yeah. and we are right in the middle of it right now. Absolutely. 100%, Joe. Yep. Very well said, bullish. Joey. Well said. Yeah. P.S. Interest rates are super low. Call me. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> Call, Call Joe. <laughs> okay, let's, talk about, let's talk about failures here because I know you and I have discussed this. I think it's a great topic. It's painful, but I think there's a yeah. lot of value in it for the audience. So tell us about the best failure you've had that's led you to where you're at that you 
would say this is this is what made me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I'm I'm just coming off of a failure right now. Actually, my biggest failure to date. Um, so, uh, you know, the the only time it, which is which is really funny to note, I've been doing real estate for like you know 12, 13 years now, and I haven't lost in real estate. The moment that I chose to look yeah, in. Hold on, um, say that again. Oh. 12, 13 years, I've not lost in yeah. real estate. I have not. When you were doing I'm your strategy, lost. executing your business plan, sticking to what you know. Absolutely. Yep. You did not lose. I did not lose. And I mean, not even like my worst case scenario would maybe be I broke even. And that was in a bad business partnership when I was super young on my first fix and flip. I think I still made money on that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, my worst, my worst situations in real estate are still better than like 90% of other businesses right. that I've seen. So, um, so you know, my wife and I decided, my wife is very much into fitness. And so we um, decided to purchase a, a, a franchise um, that was aimed around fitness. And so it was a boutique fitness studio. Um, and we we purchased it, you know, and I, and I looked at it from a standpoint of, oh, okay, let me diversify. Because I always hear, hey, diversify your, your investments. And so I was like, okay, well, oh, you know, yes. this is something that could maybe bring in, you know, passive income of 100 grand a year because it had this real absentee model to it. Well, come to find out there's absolutely nothing absentee about this in the slightest. And um, it's starting a whole new business. And I mean, the marketing in itself, I mean, we were paying, I, I, we were we were doing, it was $35,000 a month just to keep the doors open. What? That was your overhead? Yeah, that was my overhead. Well, what did that include? We had, well, we had like, uh, you know, we had 12 employees. We had a class A uh, suite down in the, in the landmark, um, oh. you know, all the equipment. Um, you know, build out was insane. Um, but you know, it was just, uh, and then marketing. So, I mean, we just, we just had a, a you know, a lot of that Massive went to people, overhead. a lot of that went to the people. Yeah. And so in employees. And so we, um, you know, we were, we were, and I mean, our, our top month, I think we brought in 18 grand. And you're spending 35 and we we're spending 35 and most of those months I was coming out of pocket. You know, I mean, we were bringing in on average like six, seven grand a month. And I'm just like, okay. So was this, did COVID have anything to do with this or is this already, uh, the numbers before pre COVID? Yeah. So a couple of weeks before COVID, I made the determination. I said, you know what? I'm out. Uh, you so know, this, this was like this January, was, February. Uh, this was actually in March. Okay. This, so this right might've, this might've even real. been like a week before COVID. Okay. Um, I, I just made the decision. I said, you know what? I've invested so much capital into this. How and many months to go on like that, you were negative spending 35 uh, in overhead and bringing in 18, seven, seven months, seven months. Cash flow? Yeah. Seven. Well, but then throughout the build out, I mean, it was a whole, it was a two year process from beginning to end. And throughout the build out, I mean, we were just constantly funneling money in and it's like, you know, my expectation was I'll get this SBA loan and then, you know, I'll, I'll be maximum out of pocket, a hundred grand, everything will be fine. You know, my worst case scenario, I'm at a hundred grand. And it's like, well, what you fast forward. Well, the SBA lender is really strict. I mean, those loans are tough as nails to, to get through. And they were like, well, you know, you need this much more money down. And I was like, okay. So long story short, I was, you know, or you fast forward two years and I lost 800 K wow. 800 on that. And then so what uh, happened in March then. Oh, so so I made the determination when we just kept bleeding money. I said, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm on my way out. I said, I'm, I'm not going to do this any longer. I need to start negotiating with the landlord right now and just say, hey, we need to find somebody to step in and, um, and take this over. And I'm willing to give it away. This 800 in equity that I'm, that I'm in right now, I will, I'm walking away from it. Like, I'll just give it away. So that's probably a, a, a good call, especially with COVID coming on the scene where like, I mean, 
Kind of, but I didn't have a buyer in place. And then, oh. and then COVID, I had the conversation with my landlord. COVID happened. I said, definitively, I'm done. I don't care what happens. And the landlord even was willing to give me some really good concessions to stick around. And I just said, you know, I'm, I'm out. You know, I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. But I said, whatever the outcome, I'm willing to face the music and I'm done. So, um, so then I said, my, my, I had a 10 and a half year lease and I still had 10 of those years left. So I had to find somebody who would be an operator to take over that space. Um, and the franchisor that I was with, they ended up finding somebody. And then I pretty much just gave the business away. You got nothing. I, I got nothing. I even had to, I think I had to bring 15,000 to closing. You did? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was yeah. The, the whole business transaction. <laughs> just to get it done. Just to settle up with and get the new buyer, the warm and fuzzy. And I just walked away from it. So I probably could have got a little bit more if I was patient with it. But I, I wasn't patient and I just didn't care. And it was taking so much time away from me and real estate and my business partner. There, there was, I just said, you know what? The, the relationships in real estate that I have and my business partner are way more yeah. important to me than if I can have, get a couple extra bucks over here. I'll walk away from it all. So anybody to, else having a, an anxiety attack right now? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what I took away from that is exactly what you said right there at the end. I know, I know you have questions. The $15,000, I could have been patient. I could have squeezed every nickel out of this, that. But what was it taking away from your primary business? Yeah, absolutely. Right? absolutely. So if I can write a check for $15,000 to be done with this today and not have to drag this out for another 90, 120, 180 days. Absolutely. Can I be done and get back to my core focus? Yeah, absolutely. Very smart. And since since that happened, that was in mid-July. And I mean, I, I was kind of splitting my time between real estate and that business for a year and a half before that. And since July, I mean, me and my business partner have just been on an absolute tear. Wow, I mean, we have just been on a tear. You're focused. Yeah. You're engaged. Yep. You're, yeah. We're working together. And, and I mean, I didn't, I thought I was working together with yeah. them. I thought we were, we were building. You but didn't realize you we were absent. Sure. Yeah, did you? I was way more absent. You were absent and didn't even know it. Yep, 100%. That mental, um, like attention units or just that mental, like, you know, you got a hundred units of your mental space. So much is going towards this. There's that huge opportunity cost on there. It doesn't yeah. show up on your spreadsheet, Joe, when we analyze right. properties, but like right. there's that, I don't know how to quantify it. Yeah. But like, how can you elaborate on like, you know, in, I think economic terms is called a sunk cost. Hey, you've already invested, you know, a large, you know, multiple six figure income, six figure dollar into there. Like, what was the tipping point for you? So, you know what? We just need to write this off and move on. Like, yeah, how did you know? Can you, can you like walk through that mental process? Yeah. So um, once that happened, I, well, that tipping point for me, it wasn't the money that, I mean, the money sucked, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm selling assets. Yeah. I'm, I'm like coming up with money and I'm doing uncomfortable things um, to, to, I don't want to sell rental property. I don't want to sell deals to put them into a business that I don't really believe in. Right. So that's very uncomfortable for me. That that was kind of a big red flag, but really what it came down to is when COVID happened or before that, I said, okay, well, I need, it was my time. It was my evaluation of time. Right. I need to give this at least another two years. And I, I didn't even think about the money. I said, okay, the, the money's got, I, I can, I'll come up with the money, but it's got to be two years before I could even get to break even. And then it's like, and then how long after that before I get profitable or just pay myself back? I'm looking at another 10 years just to give me myself back what I had invested if I'm going off of the performa. So yeah. I said, okay, it's the time that I need. It's not the money. I'll make money in other places. I'm not going to give this business my time. Right. You know, and that's, and, and, and I had a lot of aha moments around that with real estate too. 
you cannot really lose in real estate. You really can't. I mean, if you're buying, if you're buying and doing what you need to do, and even if you hit hard times, don't sell. Do everything you can not to sell. You know, flip that property and 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 you know, value add it somewhere or do a house hack. You can rent it. You can flip it. Hold it. Do something to not sell it or to um, create a value add, and you won't lose. You just can't. You know, it's very very hard to lose in real estate. Let me ask you this, uh, Brandon. So this is one of my favorite questions. I always love like learning from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're 34 now. You got started in real estate, you know, 14 years ago when you were 20 years old. Yeah. And you've had, you know, great success in real estate. You took a black guy on the on the fitness business. Yeah. But like looking back, like if you have the knowledge you know now at 34 years old, Brandon, what would you tell 20 year old Brandon? Uh, everything you know. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say, um, oh man, I would say do everything exactly like you did it. I would, I would really go hard and and experiment. Um, I'm actually so glad that I took that loss that I did recently because I know that being diversifying, you know, myself has bullshit. always, but it, but it's always <laughs> been this like it is, it is, is yeah, it really, it really yeah. is. I mean, I I feel like I've always been tempted by it though. I've always been like, oh, I need to diversify, diversify. So it's like, I'm so glad that I took a million dollar loss this year than if I were to, you know, take a $10 million loss in five years, you know? And so, and I knew at some point I would do that. So I would say, you know, be as experimental as possible. 20 year old Brandon, do do everything that you did and more. And take losses, take L's. L's. There's a a book by uh, John Maxwell, Fail Forward. You know, I mean, that's you, you want to lo- do that. You want to fail read that forward. Book, but I, I totally love that quote. That's like one of my life mottos: is fail forward. Fail forward. Yeah. yeah. Hey, truth be told, I haven't read the book either. I just keep it because I like that <laughs> that title so much. <laughs> well, well, yeah, title. yeah, yeah. I just it gave him a shout out. Yeah, yeah. Either, no, but, but I, 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 I yeah, I love the title. I that's it. Barnes that's and Noble. Why do you even read it when you believe in the title? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Osmosis. So, you want to share yeah, so I, yeah. I just realized we're we're going for a good hour here. So I, we're like way over time. Oh, but we're, we're drinking. We're, I mean, I'm, I'm taking notes here, so I, I love this. So, like, just nice. to like keep keep talking, keep talking. Uh, oh, actually, let me ask you this here because I'm, I look at my notes here. So, you're obviously expanding, and from my interpretation, you're doubling down. You're definitely in like, hey, you have that long term aspect. Yeah, and you're willing to take a couple speed bumps along the way over the next year or so as COVID finally works itself out. Like, like, what are you looking for? Like, who do you want to network out here in Denver or nationally? Like, hey, we got good reach from the podcast. Like, what are you looking for? What's your next evolution? Your business growth? Like, who are you looking to connect with? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for asking that. Um, you know, typically, um, you know, like I said, we 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 are a marketing company, but we also do um, a lot of our own deals too. So um, the deals that we come across that we don't really have the bandwidth for, or that we just don't have an appetite for, then we will um, send those out. So if there is anybody that's looking for a single family, multifamily, or land deals, um, please feel free to reach out because that's um that is something that you know we we have you know typically a a lot of deals and things to choose from. So you know that's. That's an option. Also, too, um, you know, I'm really in a capital capital race uh, phase right now. Um, I actually, you asked it a question a few a few minutes ago in regards to how we finance our deals. Yes. You know, I'm 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 kind of a, a you know we're, we're boring when it comes to financing deals. We just go to the bank, and then it's you know 25, 30 percent down. 
Um, it is, but it's also very cash intensive as well is to just keep going to the bank. And, and so, um, you know, what I'm working on now is, and I've talked to my banker about this in depth is, uh, you know, if we can, if we can create an equity partner, somebody who's willing to put up about $10 million that we, and then we go get the the bank loan. And then they, we do like a 70, 30, 30% comes from the equity. 70% comes from the bank. Um, obviously we give a preferred return to the equity investor and then we do development deals like that. Um, we're also, so looking, that's more of like, you're looking for like one big, I would, yeah, like I would, I would, I would, investor exactly. To, to yeah. I would a, prefer a high net worth individual, at least like, you know, it's gotta be in the seven figures. You know, I'm not trying to really like do a bunch of crowdfunding or take like $50,000 pops from, from people and like manage all yeah. that emotion and, and all that stuff. We're not looking to do that. We'll just keep doing what we're doing. Um, but we are actually, uh, currently I'm working on a, uh, a 30 unit, uh, shipping container model for yes. aimed at multifamily. You mentioned this before the yeah. we hit live, like, please talk about it. So you piqued my interest. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, basically, you know, we're, we're not in a housing crisis as far as, um, you know, pricing because prices are more expensive than they've ever been, which actually is kind of a housing crisis because people can't afford to live. Right. You know, and so it's not that prices are so, so cheap. And that's the, the, the crisis. The crisis is people can't get into a place. And so we're looking at alternative forms of construction and, and living um, that are lower cost so that, um, you know, we can try to meet that demand. Um, you know, and we've we've set we've set up a team right now and we're uh, we're looking at doing uh, shipping containers aimed at Section 8 housing. Um, and can so you that's like elaborate on that. Like, I mean, that's here in Denver. Can you just like talk about it? Cause I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, Joe and I were fans of section eight. Mm -hmm. I mean, we both have rentals at section eight yeah. mm -hmm. um, yeah. and just the whole shipping container. Like it's, it's so interesting. Can you just like give yeah. some details on that? Yeah. So basically, um, you know, the, the, the shipping containers are built in a warehouse every it's considered modular housing. And so, um, that's where you'd get financing on it is from the modular aspect. If you take a shipping container and then you go to a piece of property or go to a vacant piece of land and you start assembling, um, you know, you start furnishing and, and building out a shipping container on site, you can't ever get financing for it. So you have to build it in a warehouse and, and that's where you're going to be able to get that modular classification. Can I time out, please? Uh, Joe, I mean, this comes with oh, financing, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, Joe. cause this is such sure. a nuanced thing. Can you just talk <laughs> about how that all works in the financing world? Yeah, modular home. Cause you have experience conventional and also mm -hmm. commercial in your, in your previous life. Yeah. A modular home, we treat as a stick built home. So if it's built in a factory and you, so if you guys have all seen these on the road, just like I am, it's built in a factory and it is sitting on a trailer. You drive it to a property, you pick it up with a crane and set it down on the permanent foundation and it is there. That is a stick built home for our purposes. Now a manufactured home, you build it in a factory. It is the trailer. You drive it to a place. You take the wheels off fit and you put skirting around it. Even if it's attached permanently, that is a manufactured home and they're financed differently. Okay. Now what you're describing, a shipping container home is going to be something that's not built in a factory, right? Because it's assembled on site and then you do the finishes inside the shipping container, I believe. No, no, no. It's done in a factory. Okay. So this yeah. is done in the factory. Yeah. It's okay. done in a factory and then it's shipped to the location. Great. So then it's shipped it's set the on the foundation. So we're going to treat that as modular, which is going to be just like a stick built home. Your challenge is going to be on the appraisal. We have to find similar comparables that this is not the only, we don't want to, we don't want to finance a unique property. Yeah. I don't want to finance the only gigantic red property within a 300 mile radius. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if there's a bunch of these around, 
and all of the other ones sell at this price range for this type of finishes, for this type of acreage, for this type of square footage, great, we'll do that. We don't have any issues. What we don't want is to be, there's exactly one shipping container home in Denver and wow. we're gonna finance that. That's a huge problem. But if you've got a subdivision or a bunch of them, or we can find something to comps, comp for the appraisal, that. so that's the beauty of it. So you can do that's conventional financing on this stuff. Mm -hmm. If you so have just, others, just twenty five percent down, assuming know, some good comps. If we can get the appraisal. If we can get the appraisal, now I can, I'm not going to compare a shipping container. Well, how to, much can you guarantee the appraisal? Oh, zero point zero one. Okay. Yeah. So if you have other shipping container comps, we'll do it, right? But if you've got one shipping container in, uh, you know, Berkeley. And there's other townhomes and these beautiful Victorian homes and all this. I don't have any comps for a shipping container. But if you've got other shipping containers and you can provide me comps or provide the appraiser yeah. comps and we can justify, yes, there's an active market for so shipping containers. So you need to sell homes. one, is that right? So you, you need to sell, sell a shipping you. container yeah, yeah. and so you have a few. comp. Right? Yeah, but this is this is the beauty of it. Yeah. We never want to sell them. We'll Great. never want to sell them. So you don't want to sell them to me and Joe, though? strictly a cash flow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you might need to sell one to get the finance to get an appraisal, and then you can keep the rest. It well, I mean, like, it would be. Well, I'm working with the with my so bank local right bank now. Might be different than trying to finance one oh, unit through. with me. Can you right. talk about okay, the right. the nuances there, Joe? Because this is just a, a, an important point between yeah. you as a conventional lender and like a local bank. Can you just touch Absolutely. on that? Absolutely. Yeah, me as a conventional lender, I want to find a hundred shipping container loans that I can package all together. Right. I'm looking for many loans that are all the same. I'm looking for a lot of people that have 740 credit score and above. I'm looking for a lot of people that have 720 to 740. I'm looking for a lot of people that have 680 to 700 because I want a big bulk of loans. Right. What the bank is looking for is for you to send them a check every single month, right? So they're looking for, hey, we're going to finance your shipping container and you're going to make payments and we're willing to take you and your shipping container and put you on our books. And we don't need a hundred other of you. We need one of you. That's the difference between me and the bank. So you want to finance a shipping container loan? I can do that, but I need a lot of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like what, what's a lot of them? Is that like a hundred or no, like, what, like what's the... I mean, in my world, like five. Okay. Yeah. And that would be like the, the five county, seven county metro area? Yeah. Would be in, okay. Yeah, exactly. So we're looking to securitize. We're looking to build a bulk of loans, not just one loan. And that's the difference between me and the local bank. The local bank will take one loan and they'll just keep it because it's they're not packaging it up with other loans. Yeah. So, but for yeah. your purposes, what you're talking about, you're going to have a number of these, probably all on one legal description or two or three legal descriptions. You want to finance it. You're going to put down your 30, 35%, and then you're going to make your payment to the bank. Your tenants are going to make their payments to you and you're going to keep the difference and you don't really care. Yeah. You're not looking to sell it. You don't really care what the rate is. You don't care anything about the terms as long as the rent is this, your payment is this, and you keep the difference in between. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. is that a, is that just a pure long-term cash flow play for you? Yeah. Or is that like a development play as well as an exit strategy? Hmm, good question. Ah, I didn't want to release all the bags or tricks out oh, of the bag. Oh, so no, 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 no. So, no, so I plead the fifth. Yeah, I plead the fifth. Yeah, yeah, right. I plead the fifth. We crossed the line. You crossed the line. Okay, yeah, no, I'm no, so, no. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just joking. Your I'm so, I'm totally I'm the joking. Who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I pour you some more whiskey? Right, right, yeah, like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I do like that. You know, we're land guys. We love land. We love development. 
So yeah, the long term is absolutely we, we, well, we get choice. Well, what's your long term? Is that ten year, thirty year, fifty year? Because like 10, 15, if you look 10, at 15. like you know like I always like I love like you look at like our our culture as Americans, mm-hmm. then compared to Japanese cultures, our long term is like quarter to quarter on Wall Street. Their long term is like fifty years. Yeah, and like right. I always love the thing like what is your what is your long when you say long term like what's your vision on there. Yeah, ten to fifteen years. Okay, ten to fifteen years, which so is just which acquire. I would agree with the long term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to just to be able to obviously we want to drive in cash flow. Um, you can get these things built for about twenty percent um, less uh, conventional construction, so you're able to create a, a decent spread for cash flow. So I, you can actually cash flow, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to deals where you're like putting together. I mean, you're, you're the margins are so thin, you just can't really cash flow. So that's the multifamily aspect. Like I mentioned you can cash on the land, a door right now, actually, R- really, you buy it one ten a door, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I so, mean, on, on a, on, the, they're different models though. Like in the multifamily, absolutely, I'm looking for something that's beefier and cash flow. Um, shipping containers is an avenue. Um, don't know if it's like going to be the holy grail, but we're we're working through a thirty unit, our first thirty unit right now. Can you just pay? Are, are these like? I mean, are these like thirty shipping containers like just stacked up vertically, like Tetris, or like what? Like just can you just yeah. paint me a picture? Because I'm still curious. Are these like three shipping containers, like, you know, uh, doors cut out between, so they're double wides? Like, just yeah, walk yeah. Me through. I'm, I'm so intrigued by this. Yeah. So, so basically, it's uh, first floor, it's going to be a podium style. So, you have uh, second, third, and four stories of living, and then you're going to have first floor of all parking. Then you're going to have uh, the parking steel. will actually be shipping containers. No, the parking's going to be on the first level. And then the so building, the, and then, park under, and then but, but this is a concrete, concrete structure. Concrete, yeah. concrete okay, yeah. so like a concrete, like first ground parking structure. Yeah. yeah. Shipping containers on top of the concrete. Yeah. Uh, first floor level. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. And then Keep, they're stacked two and three high. And these are and all they, just, and is it like two and three high and two and three wide? And so you can, um, you know, we're, we're looking right now at, at doing uh, uh, studios, one beds and two beds, you know, studios ranging around 300 and some square feet. One bed's 480, two beds, 640. You have to operate within a 20 by eight foot section because that's what a shipping container is. So I, I told side though, Terrence, we got to do like our, our ride along show on one of these units. We should totally go walk through one of these. Yes. Sites. Do you Walker, have one girl? He's trying to no, build no, I'm, right I'm trying to build. I'm trying to build one, uh, you know, hopefully second quarter of next huh. year. We're getting it designed right now. We're just... Uh, we're going through site selection. Do you we have actually land right now. So we just had a parcel that we were we were really going after. What part? Hard, of town? But no. Can you share? Uh, we want to be like in secret sauce. Denver. It's just going to be in Denver. Like urban, Denver urban. County. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's going to really? be in Denver proper. Yeah, we're oh. not we're not going outside of Denver right now. In the now. United States. <laughs> That's all you need. To do. Joe, you're, you're, he, Joe, you are cut off. You are cut right? off, buddy. <laughs> yeah, He's invited to the United States of America. <laughs> So, you know, but but what's really interesting, and this is something that I'm I'm really kind of keeping my pulse on that I don't feel like a lot of people are keeping their pulse on. Um, modular housing for rental aspect, I think any kind of prefab or modular housing, I think people should just be looking at that in general um, for, for housing or for rental properties. Um, even these like tiny houses and things that have been coming out because there's been a lot of people who are actually making some pretty good income off this stuff. Um, but so- the future is is um I, I don't know if you've heard of a company called icon where they print houses it's 3d printing of houses and then there's another company called autoval so i mean these the, and, and they have just a 400,000 square foot like they're legitimately printing 
It's concrete. Trailers or yeah, they're they're pretty houses, like custom homes, like twenty five hundred square foot, no basement, just like slab on grade, and then they just print your house out of concrete, and it's it it can be it can be printed in less than a day, in less than five thousand dollars, a full single family house. Now there's a big pushback from this though because. Oh, I'm there's no rebar. That. There's no rebar. Right. right. Oh, so, how so, sturdy is it? Exactly. And it's like, what's the financing look like on that? If I'm you don't put rebar, the house yeah, blow yeah. over. <laughs> well, let's well talk. It's, con- it's concrete though. It's concrete, and so it's like, well, okay. Well, if you build it in a day for less than five thousand dollars, could you just rebuild it? In, right. In, Actually, in let's seven, not even give you years? financing. Yeah. Yeah. Just pay the five thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. Hey, Brandon, can I get my credit card right now? Right. 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 Mastercard. Yeah. So I, I actually, I'm sorry. I want to interject here because I know Terrence, you've done a really interesting deal in Swansea for that premium zone where you've dropped two prefab uh, duplexes. I want to talk about that. And then Joe just financing on this stuff. Like, I, I mean, this is very interesting to me. So, yeah, no, I agree with you. We've done modular. I think we've talked about this. We had a project built that was uh, two duplexes and it was built in a factory. We did it for like 90 a square foot. You still had to pay for the foundation. Obviously, you had to pay for the land. I think all in were maybe at buck 50 a square foot. Okay. But it was duplexes, uh, so four units. Yeah. And they were 1,500 square feet up, 700 square feet down. What were you? Basement. And what were you renting them out for, roughly? We got 25 for upstairs in the basement. We'll get like 12. You're getting that much. Oh, that's, over that's, there? you're crushing it. You're absolutely yeah, crushing that deal. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's yeah. solid. So it was, uh, you know, this was Opportunity Zone. This is back when 2017, we were looking to oh, buy nice. land. Oh, and, nice. And we looked at building it and it was just so expensive. I mean, I think we were getting quoted two, 225. And I was just like, man, that's ridiculous. So then we found a modular builder. What was your cost like, for that? Shipped in 90, yeah, it was like 90 something a square foot. But, you know, there's some other costs because when it arrives on site, you have to assemble it. So there's some cost to that. There's some drywall repair. Yep. You know, there's some venting, right? Because they're bringing it in boxes. So the venting for the HVAC. There were some things. I mean, net net, it was really good. I, obviously, we learned a lot. And there's some things that, you know, going back to the design phase. And would you do it again? Yeah, absolutely. That yeah, was great. I mean, they, yeah, it was phenomenal. For the product's phenomenal. I mean, you yeah. if you walk in there, it's like your family, my family would want to live in there. I right. mean, it's like really yeah. nice flooring, granite, backsplash. Oh, I'm good. Too really nice. nice bathrooms. Yeah. Um, nice. I mean, everything's legit. I mean, it's super high grade finishes. Yeah. They right. built in a factory in Nebraska. We actually went to the factory, wanted to see how they, how they did it all. I mean, it's. The, the, I actually think the quality might be better because you have people that don't. They're they're yeah. focused. They're just on that site. I agree. All man. day. I no agree. Distractions. No weather elements. They have someone watching over them full time with cameras and then in person. So I actually think you get a better product. It's faster. It's cheaper. Um, we got financing from First Bank, so it's pretty mm-hmm. easy. Uh, First but Bank's I mean, there's definitely easy. some nuances, and you have to. I mean. We would definitely do a better job next time just because we learned some things on the delivery, on the <clears> assembly, <throat> on the assemblage of it once they get it on site. But nice. Um, it was a great experience. And yeah, we've they rented out quick. I mean, the feedback when people walk in is like phenomenal. They have no idea that it was built in a factory. You can't really right. tell if it's done right. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I honestly I think that that's the wave of the future when it comes it to rentals. When it when sure. it comes to rentals, so like cheaper, yeah. It's more efficient. Yeah. Do yeah, do pre No, they're doing that. They're doing build to rent in like the southeast. It's just harder in Denver because we're landlocked. But in yeah. the southeast, in the Midwest, they're doing a ton of build-a-rent. Right. And they're coming in, just doing 200 lots. I think Lennar is actually doing their first build-to-rent community. Oh, wow. In in uh, in Chicago, right outside Chicagoland. Okay. And they're doing like two or 300 units, single-family, like townhome style, and they're building them for maybe a buck fifty. I mean, so this is definitely the wave. I mean, it's definitely going to happen. I just don't know how that 
how that intersects with Denver, you know, where it's just so much harder to build, so much more expensive to get the land and the rents. Because at a certain point, you have a brand new house and people can only pay so much in rent, but you paid so much for the land. I don't know yeah. that there can be communities unless you go out to Longmont or Erie. Or yeah. go east, right? Or Yeah, or go east or go south. Or, I, don't, I mean, it's... And I think there's a sweet spot right now where if you're doing prefab, you're going to be able to get the the cost down and you're going to be able to demand the same rental price. Right. But I feel like if it becomes an abundance, then we're going to see rental prices come down right. and we're not going to be able to demand, you know, such a high price yeah. for rent, in my opinion. But then you got other things to yeah. factor in with like inflation and all that that's going on right now, which is a whole nother podcast. So I actually have a call. I have to get out in five minutes. So I have to excuse myself here. <laughs> well, we'll, we will wrap up here. This I scheduled phenomenal. 60 minutes. This is yeah. great. Um, I think we'll just end with... This uh, is just like a real happy hour. Like, yeah, oh, this, oh, this, honey, this I'm was gonna have one and be home in 15 <laughs> <Yeah>. minutes. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you, right, my right, family... Right. Don't like, say hours later. You show up like a feet. cheetah. You're yeah. like, hi. <laughs> so my plan was, hey, I'll have one dream, drive home. I'm Ubering home right now. <laughs> yeah. So I hope you I guys... I have to Uber back to my so office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll actually stop to work. Yeah, so we'll Brandon, thank you, sir. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You too, brother. Yeah, so glad you're here. Yeah, so Brandon, thank you guys. Dude, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you. I think you're super talented. I've always admired you. Thank yeah. you so the much. One thing that stuck out the first time we met is you were talking about land as a chessboard. I don't know if you mm. remember this. And mm. you were talking about CMX, commercial mixed use. And you were like, this is the queen on the chessboard. This is this. And oh, I yeah. How, oh, I love that analogy. The one thing yeah. I relate with you is that neither of us are institutional. I think we both come from really low-income families. And... We don't wear suits. Yeah. We don't really, you know, we're not stuffy. Absolutely. And uh, and I think we've been able to hack together. You've been able to hack together a phenomenal business. I really respect it. Thank you, you so much. You don't have to have a Harvard education, a college education. You can have a check passed. And you can go out there and do whatever you want. And that's one of the things I really respect. Oh, thank you, brother. I'm super you know, excited for this podcast and this episode to get out there because I think you're you're exactly what my message is. Anybody can do it. Thank you it's so much, persistence, brother. It's perseverance. It's hard work. It's just mm, hustle. It's hustle. You know? Hustle and grind, no, baby. It doesn't matter where your grind. last name is, where you're from. Absolutely. You 100%. Yeah. I never got out of the 10th Re- grade. Repeat yeah. that. that repeat that. The hustle and grind. Like, repeat your story. Like, that. that's that's the that's the money money bullet point right there in my mind. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. You want me to literally repeat it? I literally. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, how far back? <laughs> 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 Oh uh, yeah, I mean no, and I I appreciate that TJ, and and um you know I mean it's I feel like throughout my life I've always kind of been that underdog, like I said right, in the beginning, yeah. and I've always just taken the hard road, right. and I wasn't always given the hard road. At times I just took the hard road, right. and um, like I said earlier, you know I I just you know I never got out of high school at the tenth grade, and wow. so I. I had to figure things out and I moved out of my house when I was 16 and I just, I had to figure life out. And um, it took a couple of years for me to come across real estate. But when I did, I was like, okay, this is my vehicle. What was the tipping point for you on there? Like what, what put real estate in your radar? It was actually a friend of mine that just kept pushing me into real estate. It wasn't I was, was, uh, no, no, no. I was actually just, um, you know, I was always in sales. And so uh, one of my friends was just like, Hey man, you're really good at this. You should, you should really look at, at doing, real estate and he pushed me for a year or so and i just i wouldn't give him the time of day and then we both went to take our real estate license or uh initial test at the same time and and uh i got in and he i was like oh she should have been an he, investment or wedding it sounds i like. know i know right yeah he's a very good friend we're still <laughs> friends yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, no that was me actually. all right so i know we gotta wrap up here terrence has to run we're waiver we're over time we allotted thanks guys um, appreciate what, everything what's a guys. great way for people to reach out to you we'll obviously put your website social media contact details here in the show notes but like 
What are you Thank looking you. for? How can people contact you? Yeah, yeah. All right. Here's the direct line, guys. 720-290-6352. Joe, that's, hit him that's, up. That's, uh, radio yeah, yeah. Repeat that. 720-290-6352. If you yeah, want to talk yeah. to Brandon. Oh, Hill. yeah. That's 24 hours connect. a day, yeah, 365 yeah. days. So, so 3 a.m. is a perfect time to call Oh, you, right? absolutely. Yeah, I've, <laughs> got, I've got no commitments. He'll perk right up. I have yeah, no commitments or responsibilities, guys. Yeah, just yeah. Get, get in touch with me any way you can. No, but email. Email's a good one. Brandon at urbanlandbuyer.com. Um, you know, and uh, our website is urbanlandbuyer.com. So, uh, feel free to message me, uh, talk to me. And, and honestly, I just love to talk shop. You know, I mean, if anybody even has any questions, I see that there's there's questions and things over here that we we didn't address. So, I mean, I'm 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 an open book, you know, I mean, I'm I, I love talking real estate and seeing people grow and expand and just being progressive in life. So thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, you're the Thanks man. for joining thank us. Brother. That's great. Brandon, thank you. Thank you. And uh, listeners out there, give us feedback. Obviously, we should have to Brandon, like lots of great content out here. Um, so thank you. Give us feedback and we'll do more of these. And Brandon, you'll definitely be on our, our <laughs> annual list, if not sooner list. As well. oh, sounds good, guys. Thank you so much. Right. My pleasure. Well, cheers, everyone. Cheers. cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers. All right. <laughs>